Jackson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. Amazing night of hoops last night. I was in heaven. I had so much fun between the NBA, between college basketball. The doubleheader of nationally televised games last night was awesome. We started with the Bucks and the Raptors. That, of course, was also here on WKTY. Then we got to watch LeBron and the Lakers take on Zion Williamson and the Pelicans, everybody's favorite rookie, everybody's favorite lottery pick since, I don't know, actually, maybe LeBron James. And then you know what? The first round of the WIAC tournament was last night. UWL, uh, they gave it to UW River Falls 80-58. to That was over on WIZM. I had a blast listening to that game while watching the Bucks game. Drew Kelly had the call. It was tremendous. An awesome night of hoops, and all of our teams did pretty well. I guess unless maybe you're a Pelicans fan, then maybe you're a little bit bummed today. But the Bucks got the win. UWL got the win. I want to focus mostly today on the Bucks because last night was a rematch from the Eastern Conference Finals a year ago. Look, if not for the Toronto Raptors and Nick Nurse's incredible coaching job and Kawhi Leonard's heroics, we could very well be talking about the Bucks winning the NBA Finals last year. Obviously, that's not how it happened. And the Toronto Raptors were the reason why. Last night, the Bucks started poorly. They were disjointed. Their offense couldn't get going. The Raptors started good. Offensively, it was a struggle for both teams, but Toronto was great on defense. They were flying around. Their role players were hitting shots. The crowd was into it. Giannis didn't play well. He didn't have a great game last night, especially at the beginning. And all that taken into account... The Bucs still won, and they did so with relative comfort, 108-97. Raptors made a couple of pushes at it in the fourth quarter, but the Bucs had answers. And they won last night the way they win a lot of their games. A great third quarter, and then they're able to hold on. Despite the Raptors playing really well and shooting really well, and Giannis not having his best game and being in one of the toughest environments in professional sports in Toronto, the Bucs still got it done. You starting to notice a theme? Right? It's becoming a theme. I said the same thing yesterday. The Bucks going to overtime without Giannis against the Wizards. Shabazz Napier going off for 30-plus points. Bradley Beal going off for 50-plus points. And the Bucks still won. And then the next night, very, very similar. After a back-to-back, which makes it much more impressive, after an overtime game, right? The Bucks go into the most hostile environment in the NBA. Up there with Utah which is also obviously another really difficult place to play. I don't know what the most hostile environment is. But Toronto's up there. And the Bucks, considering everything that could have gone better last night, still got the win. Really, really, really impressive. And it's starting to become a theme. Starting to feel like a bit of a team of destiny, which is why it's so important that the Bucks continue to win. And it's really, really important that they make their run at the NBA Finals this year. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. I hope you're having an awesome night. I had so much fun last night. I didn't really expect the Bucks to win, but when they did, I man, a couple of friends went out uh, downtown last night, and then we ended up watching the Lakers-Pelicans game. It was a blast. I had a great time. UWL basketball fans were happy last night, too. A pretty exciting night of basketball and a pretty uh, exciting night for our Wisconsin teams. I want to talk about the Brewers coming up at 530, and that's when I want to open the phones to you as well. It is Wednesday, open phone Wednesday. I want to talk to you. I want to hear your opinion. The Brewers made some news today. They extended Freddie Peralta. So we'll talk about that and maybe take 
a closer look at their starting rotation and what their starting rotation might look like. Because we've talked a lot about their outfield and the catcher position and the corner spots in the infield because that's where the roster turnover happened. That's where they signed free agents, let free agents go. They haven't really done a whole lot in the department of starting pitching. So we'll address that. We'll have that conversation coming up at 5.30. But I want to talk about the Bucks first. Last night was so, so impressive and we can't gloss over it. When that game ended last night, I don't remember what time it was, you know, 9.15, 9.30. When that game ended, my first thought was, you know, those might be the two best teams in the NBA. Now, with the Bucs, you don't really have an argument because they have the best record by far. They've already clinched a playoff spot. I, I don't think you can argue that the Bucs at least aren't one of the best teams in the NBA. In the context of the regular season, there's no one even close. The Bucs are number one. But I think most people then go Lakers, Clippers, And then you get into that second tier. Okay, Rockets. uh, You want to talk about the Celtics or the Sixers if they get their act together or the Raptors. I think the Raptors should be in the tier with the Lakers, the Clippers, and the Bucks. I think we very well could have seen the two best teams in the NBA play last night. We treat Los Angeles like a foregone conclusion that the Lakers and the Clippers are the second and third best teams in the NBA right now behind the Bucks, And that very well could be the case. I'm not saying Toronto is better. I'm saying they could be just as good. Did you watch last night? Everything about this Raptors team is tremendous. Now, they don't have the superstar. They no longer have Kawhi Leonard, which I think will ultimately be the reason that the Bucks beat them in a very hard-fought playoff series to make the NBA Finals. But everything about that Raptors team is buttoned up, is organized, and they execute in every facet of the game. And their home court advantage is unreal. It's unreal. The Raptors are 23-8. and eight. 23-8 and eight at home, and you see why. That crowd is unreal, and of course you have Drake, which I'm not going to complain about Drake because I'll sound like an old man, but it gets under your skin. As a fan watching on TV, that crowd gets under my skin. Can you imagine having to play there? Having to go up to Toronto in a different country and go play in that environment? Between their coaching, Nick Nurse, who I think is one of the best coaches in the NBA, I think Brad Stevens gets all the credit, gets all the talk. I think Nick Nurse is just as good, and he's creative, and he's willing to try things, and he's willing to think outside the box. Going into last night, I respected the Raptors as a really, really good team, well-coached team, good organization. I didn't really fear them. After last night's game, I'm like, my God, are they good. My God. I, I Now I fear the Raptors. I think the Bucs are better. And if they play in a seven-game series, especially if Milwaukee has home court advantage, which at this point looks to be all but but locked up, if the Bucs played them in a seven-game series, I, I would expect the Bucs to win, but that they are going to have to earn all four of those four wins that's going to take to advance past the Raptors. That is a really good team. And I'm not here to bang the desk and argue that the Raptors are better than the Lakers or better than the Clippers because they're in different conferences and they don't play very often and we haven't seen Paul George healthy and Pat Beverly's been hurt on the Clippers, so we don't know. All I'm saying is that don't cast the Raptors off on this second tier below the two LA teams and below Milwaukee. We very well could have watched the two best teams in the NBA last night. We'll see how it shapes out in the playoffs. Do not take that Raptors team lightly. Do not. Going into last night, I respected them. After last night, I stri- I'm straight up afraid of that team, of that arena, that crowd, that coach. God, is that a good team? And, and they could very well, right up with there with the Bucks, be one of the best teams in the NBA. Let me, let me talk about something else. Let me transition to this. I think the Bucs have made improvements since last year, mostly personnel-wise. 
I think they lost Malcolm Brogdon, which was a step back, but they got better defensively by adding Robin Lopez. Dante DiVincenzo was tremendous last night. Not great offensively, but extending plays. A couple energy plays here and there. He had a couple of huge rebounds. He had seven total rebounds, but it's when they came. Huge moments to extend possessions and buy the Bucks some extra points. Dante was great. He's a year better and a year healthier than he was last year. Marvin Williams was tremendous last night. Hit some big corner threes to keep the Bucks alive in the first half. He had nine total points. George Hill, I think, somehow has gotten even better. I think Chris Middleton has gotten even better. And I think Wesley Matthews is good. He might not be Malcolm Brogdon, but he's almost there. I think the Bucks mostly improved in the last year through their personnel by tweaking the roster, adding some length, adding some defensive depth. Adding Robin Lopez was huge. He was great last night defensively. Robin Lopez was plus 11 last night, by the way. That's up there with Giannis, who was a plus 13. That, that goes to show you something. Most of the improvements that the Bucs have made have been personnel, but I do think there is one improvement in the game of Chris Middleton and Giannis. One improvement they have made since last year, and it was evident last night. You had to pay attention. You had to look at the details, the box score. But Middleton and Giannis have made one big improvement that makes me feel more confident going into the postseason. Mostly about Middleton, but with Giannis as well. Something I've noticed is Chris Middleton and Giannis, especially in the last five or six games, they're learning how to play through bad stretches. In the past couple of years, Bucks fans, you know, because it's frustrating. You could just tell when Chris Middleton was going to have a bad game. Like, you could just tell. First quarter, you're like, ah, Middleton doesn't have it today. I know, because I've been at, like, four Bucks games in my life, and Middleton played, like, you know what, three of those games. And you could tell very early. It's just like, he, he doesn't have it tonight. And Middleton yesterday started poorly. He had zero points in the first quarter, Five in the second quarter, and you're like, man, is this going to be a Middleton stinker? Well, he had nine points in the third, eight in the fourth. Five first half points, only five. A three-point shot and two free throws. In the second half, he adjusted, he adapted, and he played through that poor half to put up 17 points in the second half and go six of nine from the field. A couple of years ago, even last year, if Chris Middleton had a bad first quarter, the odds of him rebounding to have an effective night the rest of the way, they're very low. You could tell very early with Chris Middleton. If he was having a bad night, he was having a bad night, and that was it. Against the Wizards the other night, what did he miss? Four or five straight shots, and then he had nine points in overtime? Chris Middleton is learning how to shoot his way through a bad stretch. So even if he gets off to a poor start, it's not a death sentence like it was maybe a year or two ago. Giannis, on the other hand, last night did a really, really good job not necessarily shooting his way through rough patches because Giannis didn't shoot a whole lot last night. He only took 14 shots. He didn't really force the issue. What Giannis got good at last night is picking his spots, knowing when he can force, knowing when he can push, and knowing when to pull back because the Raptors will send three or four guys at him. They'll double team, triple team. They'll send the whole team. If they got to get the ball out of his hand and prevent him from getting to the rim, that's what they'll do. And it worked in the playoffs last year. And it worked last night. And instead of Giannis continuing to bang his head against the wall, maybe like we've seen last year or the year before, he changed his game up a little bit. He facilitated. He had eight assists. And if the Bucs would have been shooting a little bit better to open the game, probably would have had more than eight. Probably would have had a triple-double. He ended with 19, 19, and eight. But he also hit two three-pointers, one in the final five minutes that really helped salt it away. And Giannis also did some work in the mid-range, including hitting one big step back with about two minutes to go last night that, once again, was a big factor in closing out that game. So Giannis took his foot off the gas pedal a little bit last night when he realized that the odds were stacked against him, that he was going to have a tough time based on the Raptors' defense. And he said, okay, I'm going to facilitate. 
I'm going to focus on getting rebounds, and I'm going to pick my spots, and I'm going to be selective about when I try to put my head down and get to the rim, and I'll pick my spots when I try to shoot a little bit of a fadeaway, a little bit of a jumper. Giannis's game is becoming more complete, and last night, a very mature performance from Giannis. Chris Middleton learning how to play through rough stretches, Giannis learning how to pick his spots. Those two players, the two superstars for the Bucks. Getting better and better and better as this year goes along. Always making improvements. Really, really promising. I have high hopes going into the playoffs. Maybe even more so than a year ago. Last night, I think even more so than the players, was about the coaches. Let's talk about what was on the line last night. Because this game was only, it was just a regular season game. But it felt like more than that. Let's talk about that coming up next. Don't worry, baseball fans. I got something for you too today. We're talking Brewers coming up at 5.30. And I want to hear from you. Open phone Wednesday. A lot to come here on the Wisco Sports Show. Presented by Played Against Sports. Back in a moment here on WKTY. Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Some really awful, terrible, gut-wrenching news today. And we're talking about the Bucks. We're going to talk about the Brewers coming up in about 10 minutes. And this is not a political show or a space for me to bring political commentary. But it is so unbelievably sad what happened in Milwaukee today. And we don't know all the details. Uh, you can stay up to date. Check out our news source, our news page, WIZM.com. Uh, Wisdom News with Rick Solom and Drew Kelly and our great breaking news team, and, and you can get coverage there. But multiple fatalities uh, at the Miller Coors plant in Milwaukee, which is just terrible. So I don't know if you're religious. I don't know if you're spiritual. Um, but thoughts, prayers, condolences, whatever you can provide to the people who are affected way too close to home, just a couple hours away in Milwaukee. And I know we're talking about the Bucks, We're talking about the Brewers. And I don't want to get into the... Difficult nature of talking about guns and gun laws or lack thereof. So we're not going to, but something we have to recognize when we have the privilege of 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 being safe at work and at school, uh, a privilege that some were not afforded today on the other side of the state in Milwaukee. So once again, not going to ask you to pray or to think of others, but whatever you can provide uh, will certainly be appreciated by the by the loved ones and the families of those affected in Milwaukee. We're talking about the Bucks and on the sports front went really well last night. The Bucks won a game, and I'll admit, a game that I didn't expect them to win. They won in Toronto off a back-to-back, off an overtime game, 108-97. to And the way that game started, Toronto, their role players were hitting shots, and the Bucks' role players were not hitting shots. And I'm like, okay, maybe the Bucks are going to get blown out, which is something we never see. Well, it didn't turn out to be the case. The Bucks made it happen. Last night was only a regular season game. It was just one of 82. It did not hold any more weight. Then the game against the Wizards the other night. Then a random game against the Charlotte Hornets or the Pelicans or the Nuggets. Fill in the blank. It was one of 82. But it felt like more for a couple of reasons. Of course, the Raptors were the team that ended the Bucks' charge towards the NBA Finals last year. Like the Bucks, we had it. We were right there. I remember to talk, talking to some friends, some family friends. I went home for a weekend last spring. The Bucks were up 2-0. Went home to see my family, uh, to see my siblings, to see some friends. And I was talking to some family friends. And they're like, Grant, the NBA Finals, how wild is this? Like, it was it was a done deal. We were convinced that our team was making the NBA Finals. And the Raptors and Nick Nurse were the team to take that away. So the Raptors are always going to kind of have a special place in my heart filled with just hatred for that team. Not a special place in a good way. And I think last night felt a little bit bigger because of that, because we hate the Raptors. The Raptors are the team that kept us from the Finals last year. And I get that. 
I also think last night was a statement game in a way for Coach Mike Budenholzer and Coach Nick Nurse. Nick Nurse, in his first season as a head coach in the NBA, kind of took Bud's lunch money last year in the Eastern Conference Finals. Bud had coached that Bucks team to 60 wins. They cruised through the Pistons with ease. They cruised through the Celtics with ease after they gave them the first game and said, all right, now we'll try, and they won in five. And then they went up 2-0 on the Raptors, and they were cruising, and everything was going great. And then Nick Nurse made some adjustments, and Bud couldn't deal with it. Couldn't deal with it. And Coach Bud has coached some really good teams. He's coaching an elite team right now. They have a shot to win 70 games. I hope they don't, and I don't think they will, but they could. It's in play. Coach Bud has won 60 games twice, once in Atlanta and once last year. And both of those seasons ended in the Eastern Conference Finals with four straight losses. I don't fault Bud for what happened in Atlanta because he ran into LeBron James. Nobody was beating LeBron James in the East for 10 years, and we're going to roll one guy and one team over the coals for it? I, I don't think that's fair. Last year, you can criticize Coach Bud, and he does have a little bit of a history of melting down in the playoffs after a really, really good regular season. Last night, I'm sure, felt... A little vindicating for Coach Bud. But it was really a showcase by both coaches. Nick Nurse is an incredible coach. I think Coach Bud is a really, really good coach, too. You saw success in coaching, and you saw examples of great coaching by both sides throughout the game yesterday, and at different times. You just got to know what to look for. The Raptors got out to a lead in the second quarter. I thought they might run away with it. Their role players were hitting shots. They were doing a good job defending Chris Middleton and defending Giannis. It was actually Marvin Williams who really kind of kept the Bucks in it with a few corner threes. But the Raptors had a lead. In fact, they had their biggest lead of the game, 51-39. And that lead came to be by a thunderous dunk by OG Ananobi over Giannis. Giannis took a gamble, then tried to recover, then tried to block the shot, and OG Ananobi threw it down in his face. Toronto went up 51-39. The crowd was into it. Everyone was on their feet, and it felt like, here go the Raptors. 258 remaining in the second quarter. Biggest lead that the Raptors had all night. And what happened? The Bucs closed that quarter and closed the first half with an 11-1 to run. And the deficit was two points at halftime. So after everything that the Raptors did so well in the first two quarters, they kind of peed it away by letting the Bucs go on an 11-1 to run to make it close at halftime. There were plenty of signs of great coaching and great preparation. They jumped out to a huge lead. The energy was there. The defensive intensity was there. The shots were falling for role players. That's a sign of great preparation and creative coaching. Nick Nurse has used defenses against Steph Curry like a box and one. You never see that in the NBA. You hardly ever see that in college. And some of the defenses that he has employed against Giannis have been a little bit out of the box because he's not afraid to try things. He's not afraid to get creative. That was on display in the first half. You could tell they were prepared for the Bucs, that they were planning for that game, and they were able to catch them off guard early because the Bucs were coming off a back-to-back, an overtime game in D.C. They had to fly into Toronto. It makes sense that the Raptors would jump out to an early lead, and that's due to, in part, great coaching by Nick Nurse. I saw a lot of people complaining on Twitter last night. I saw a lot of people saying, God, the, why did... Of course Matt Thomas is hitting threes, right? Of course... Chris Boucher is hitting threes. It always happens when the Bucs play the Raptors. They, they, these nobodies start hitting threes. Well, yeah, but that's what the Raptors do. That's a sign of good coaching. Matt Thomas, the former Hilltopper, hit three three-point shots yesterday. Chris Boucher, or Chris Boucher, excuse me, hit two in the first half. And as a Bucs fan, it might be easy and tempting to go, God, of course, we're so unlucky. No, that's what the Raptors do. They're, they're role players make an impact. 
that's a sign of good coaching, of a good organization. It's kind of like the Packers this last year. Everybody's saying, oh, they win ugly. It's going to catch up with them. It's going to catch up with them. Well, no. The Packers are just really good at winning ugly. The Raptors are really good at finding a role player that's having a good night and getting them the ball. Whether that's Matt Thomas or Chris Boucher or Fred Van Vliet, although he's kind of ascended into a, a starting caliber, you know, rotation piece rather than a depth piece like maybe the last couple of years. That's a sign of good coaching. A lot of examples of Nick Nurse doing a really good job last night. But I do have to say that I think Coach Bud had the better coaching game last night. And of course, that's an easy argument to make when his Bucks were winners, 108-97, especially in that environment off a of back-to-back. Really, really impressive. The greatest sign of a well-coached team is the third quarter. And I've talked about this dozens of times right here on the Wisco Sports Show. The Bucks last night outscored the Raptors in the third quarter 34-19. to The Raptors outscored the Bucks by two points in the first quarter. Both teams scored an even 25 in the second quarter. And Toronto outscored the Bucks by two in the fourth quarter. You know where the Bucks made their hay and where they've been making hay for the last two years? In the third quarter. They outscored the Raptors 34 to 19. A huge margin, a huge discrepancy in that third quarter. That's a sign of good coaching because it shows adaptation at halftime. It shows adjustment. It shows execution. Adaptation because they go into halftime and they make adjustments and they change things. It shows execution because the players actually come out and do it. They come out and execute that game plan. They take what's on the whiteboard in the locker room and they put it on the hardwood in that third quarter. Success in the third quarter. And that's what the Bucs have hung their hat on for the last two years. The first half is going to be pretty even. Fourth quarter is going to be pretty even. But they will kill you with an avalanche of scoring in the third quarter. It's what they did last night. It's what they've been doing for the last two years. It shows adaptation. It shows adjustment. It shows execution. And it shows that this Bucks team and the players on this team listen to Coach Bud. And that there's some synergy there. That's really important. That's really, really important. A really well-coached game by both sides last night. Lots of examples of elite coaching for both teams. You just got to know where to look. And the Bucs have been doing this in the third quarter for the last two years. It's their recipe for success. And it shows that they have a good coach and they listen to their really good coach. Really, really impressive last night. Really when everything is up against you. Coming off a back-to-back, coming off an overtime game, playing against the second-best team in the East with maybe the best coach. In a hostile environment, and the Bucs are still able to get it done. That just speaks volumes to this team and to this coach. I want to transition to the Brewers when we come back. They made news. They extended Freddie Peralta today. I want to talk about that extension. Get your thoughts on it. It's an open phone Wednesday, 608-796-2558. Give me a call. Shoot me a text. We're going to talk Freddie Peralta and the Brewers' possible starting rotation, because we don't know yet. We're going to talk about that coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on, presented by Played Against Sports, right here on WKTY. This is the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I am your host. Thanks for hanging out. Follow me on Twitter at KeystrokerGrant. You can follow us all at WKTY. A couple different pieces of breaking news today. Of course, you're going to find that on our Twitter page as well as our website, WKTYsports.com. Kobe King, former Badger, former Lacrosse Central Red Raider, looks like he's headed to play for Fred Hoiberg in Nebraska. I've never been to Nebraska. I like Madison a lot, though. I can't imagine that Lincoln is, I don't know. I don't know. Never been. Good luck to him. I'm a, I'm a Kobe King fan. I don't wish him any 
any ill will. I hope he goes and he has a great career there. And then some more breaking news uh, even earlier today, the Brewers extending Freddie Peralta, which is a little bit surprised because most of the time you see a contract extension coming. Like you kind of halfway expect it. A player's either nearing the end of their deal or they're not happy with their current contract. They want more money. They want an extension, whatever. For the most part, you don't get surprised by contract extensions a whole lot. Like if Kenny Clark got extended by the Packers today, we'd all go, yeah, that makes sense. It's probably been in the works for for a while, right? You typically aren't surprised by these things. I was surprised by this Freddie, Freddie Peralta news. So he is guaranteed $15.5 million in this new five-year deal. It was first reported by ESPN's Jeff Passan. Deal is worth $15.5 million, includes two club options, so it sounds like there's opportunities for the Brewers to jump out at some point if they want. We don't know all the details yet, but basically what it shakes down to is Freddie Peralta is going to be about a $3 million a year guy, okay, which really isn't that much. It's really not that much at all. And I wanted to compare Freddie Peralta's deal and his contract to the rest of the Brewers pitchers. Corey Knable makes about five per year, five million per year. Brett Anderson as a veteran is making five million a year. Josh Hader is making over four million a year, just barely over four million. Josh Lindblom just over uh three million. And then it really drops off. Alex Claudio making about one point seven million. Brent Suter uh, or David Phelps, excuse me, making about a, a million and a quarter. And Brent Suter is making just under a million. Other than that all of these players, Ray Black, Corbin Burns, Adrian Hauser, Lauer, Brandon Woodruff, are all pre-arbitration players. So their their money is worked out a little bit differently. $3 million in the grand scheme of things is actually kind of in the middle. If you compare the lowest paid brewer pitcher and the highest paid brewer pitcher, yeah, it's right in the middle. So I want to ask you, it is Open Phones Wednesday. What do you think about this extension? And more importantly, what do you think about the Brewers' starting rotation? Because we've spent a lot of time this offseason talking about catcher, third base, first base, the outfield. We haven't really talked about the starting rotation at all because they didn't really do anything. Yeah, they brought in Josh Lindblom, but other than that, they're kind of standing pat. So we haven't really talked about it a whole lot. I'd love to hear from you. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Give me a call. I'd love to sh- uh, love to chat. Shoot me a text. Uh, I'd love to hear what you have to say. My reaction to this deal, and I don't want to speak for you, but if I were to have to guess... Your reaction was like mine. You're probably like, okay, cool. All right, sure. Didn't really feel strongly one way or another. Weren't jumping up and down. You weren't in shock. You weren't in disbelief and in anger that the Brewers would waste their money on a guy like Freddie Peralta. I'm sure most of us were just like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, sounds good. I I remember thinking back to the beginning of the Brewers season last year, like the first three weeks. I was so excited. We all were excited for Corbin Burns, and Freddie Peralta to take that step. Because Freddie had had some starts. Corbin Burns was so good out of the bullpen, and we had such high hopes for these two guys. And I could not wait to watch them pitch. I remember this so clearly last spring. And of course, it's easier to remember it because it was warm outside, and the sun didn't set at 5.30 p.m. Like, it was just, it's a better time, and I remember it clearly. When I would finish this show and I would do a couple other things around the building before I would leave. And then at 6.30, I would get in my car and I would rush home because I didn't want to miss Freddie Peralta. I just I, Something about Freddie Peralta last year I couldn't get off of. There was some just action and juice to his fastball that just seemed next level. It wasn't anything like he didn't have a, a huge amount of pitches. It wasn't like he threw knuckleballs. But there was just something about his arm that just seemed to have that energy, that juice. It was live. And, and I wanted to watch it. I was excited to watch it. 
And like, I'll miss a Brewer game. If I got something going on, I'll catch up on it later. Baseball is an easy sport like that where you can go back and you can read. You can watch a little bit of the replay. You can look at the box score. And you can figure out what happened. Basketball and football, not so much. I would not miss a game that Freddie Peralta was starting. My hopes were so high. I was so excited for him to join the starting rotation last year. Obviously, his season was a massive disappointment. Luckily for him, not as disappointing as, as Corbin Burns. He's lucky that that worked out the way that it did. But they were both disappointing last year. And it's tempting to give up on them. It's tempting for me to think, well, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns, they had their shot last year to become starting pitchers. It didn't work out. They got to move on. They got to find somebody else. Give up on them. It's tempting to think that way. But listen, we can't. And the Brewers can't. The Brewers cannot afford to give up on either Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns, which is why I think this deal makes a lot of sense. I think this deal is necessary for the Brewers. $15.5 million, it's about $3 million a year, and there's two club options. As we know more, as more details about this contract are released, maybe my opinion will change. But it's pretty harmless. The most expensive Brewers pitcher is Corey Knable, and he's making just over $5 million a year. $5 million this year. So $3 million for Freddie Peralta? I'm okay with that. That's fine. I think this deal was smart. I think it makes sense. And I think it was necessary because the Brewers cannot afford to give up on Corbin Burns and they cannot afford to give up on Freddie Peralta. They need at least one of those two pitchers to be a good starter if they want to compete for a World Series. They don't need to be a Cy Young candidate, but they need they need to be a pretty good starter. They need one of those two guys to work out. Ideally, both. Ideally, both would work out, but you need at least one. Because if Freddie Peralta doesn't work and they give up on him, which now is not very likely because they just extended him, and if Corbin Burns also flops out, what do they have? What do they have? They have Brandon Woodruff, a guy who they just signed from Korea, and Adrian Hauser. And I like Adrian Hauser. He had one pretty good year last year. But if history has told us anything about Brewers pitchers, just because they have a good year, that doesn't mean you should expect another good year and another good year. It doesn't. It hasn't really worked that way. The curse of opening day starters between Chase Anderson and Junior Guerra and Willie Peralta. The list goes on and on and on and on. The Brewers need one of those guys, preferably both, but they need one of Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns to work out. You cannot give up on these guys. Because if they give up on them, they have, they have nothing. And they're not signing a Garrett Cole or a Max Scherzer. And, and they haven't, since 2008, shown the, the tendency to want to trade for a big name like a Madison Baumgartner or whatever rental is out there that year. So if the Brewers want to have a good starting rotation and they will need one if they want to compete for a World Series, they need Freddie Peralta or Corbin Burns to work out. They need it. They cannot afford to give up on these guys. Because they only have so many ways to, to get a good pitcher. And for a small market team with only so much money and the club control is paramount, Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns are great candidates. They need to sink every resource into those two guys. Every bit of coaching, every bit of consulting work if it's necessary, bring in an expert, bring in, a, bring in a witch doctor. I don't care. But you need to go through every avenue and exhaust every resource to get Freddie Peralta and Corbin Burns to be a solid starting pitcher. You can't give up on them. Otherwise, you have nothing left. You have nothing left. 608-796-2558. That's the five-star telecom talk and text line. Uh, Jordan chimes in, says, hey, I agree with you 100%. I'm excited about the young pitching. Haven't given up yet. 
I think it's time Stearns explains why he hasn't spent the money. If the ultimate goal is to have as much money as possible for Yelich, then tell us. Because it's starting to look like we could really, really afford Moustakas' contract. That is, I, you're preaching to the choir about every single detail. Thank you, Jordan, for the text. And baseball is a very transparent sport. Like, we expect David Stearns to be honest with us, right? Like, we would never expect Brian Gutekinds to come out and say, we're not going to be very good this year, guys. Uh, we're trying for a draft pick. We're, we're tanking. And we would never expect John Horst to come out and say that about the Bucks. They would find other ways. John Horst and, and the Bucks would start playing young players. Right, the Packers would trade a couple players away. They'd want to get younger, but in baseball, we expect the front office to come out and say, "We're rebuilding this year. This is our plan. We're going to do X, Y, and Z. It's a three to five year process." We expect that from the front office, so it would be nice for David Stearns to come out and say, "Look, we only had this much money. You know, this is the reason for this. This is the reason for that." But I also understand why David Stearns doesn't, because I don't know if David Stearns could come out and say, "Look, I wanted to resign this guy, but..." Our cheap-ass owner didn't want to foot the bill, right? How's that going to play in meetings? Yeah, Mark, sorry about that press conference today. I just, you know, people are getting on my case, and I just wanted to I wanted to set the record straight. I don't know if that would work out. I, I don't know how that would play in those big conference rooms that Mark Atanasio and David Stearns uh, hold their meetings, those big mahogany tables and leather-bound chairs. I don't know if that would be great for, uh, I don't know if that would be great for the group dynamic in the Brewers' front office. When we come back, I want to continue this conversation. Let's look at the starting rotation a little bit because we've talked about position players. We've talked about Moustakis, as Jordan texted in, and we've talked about Grandal. We haven't really paid a lot of attention to the starting rotation. I want to look at some of the options, maybe what that rotation looks like, and I want to give my prediction, my prediction about maybe how this starting rotation will play out and what the Brewers need of their starting rotation if they want to accomplish their goals and compete for a championship. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show coming up next, presented by Play It Again Sports. Talking Brewers here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. As our friend Zach Heilprin pointed out, a lot of breaking news today between Kobe King choosing Nebraska and the Brewers extending Freddie Peralta and some really tragic news uh, coming out of Milwaukee with a terrible shooting, a couple of people are dead, including the shooter uh, at the Miller's plant in or at the Miller plant in Milwaukee. So catch yourself up. Go to WKTYsports.com. There you can find all the information on Kobe King and what the latest is with Freddie Peralta and the Brewers. And go to our sister station, WIZMnews.com, for what Rick and Drew and our excellent news team and Brad Williams and the latest one, what's going on in Milwaukee. So a lot to catch yourself up on. WKTYsports.com, WisdomNews.com, everything you need right there. We're talking about the Brewers, uh, and I appreciate your text coming in. Every Wednesday, I try to invite you in as much as possible, and I let's be real, I like to hear myself talk, so sometimes I, I don't do a very good job. But we're talking about the Brewers starting rotation because we've spent most of our time this offseason talking about the departure of Mike Moustakis, and the departure of Yasmani Grandal and how they're going to fill some of those position players. First base, third base, catcher, outfield. We haven't really talked about the starting rotation. Now, I gave the Brewers some positivity yesterday. I'm trying to get myself excited for opening day. I'm trying to fill myself with a little bit of belief and enthusiasm and optimism. I'm looking at the Brewers starting rotation, the pitchers they currently have on their roster, and trying to project maybe what the rotation will look like. I actually think the Brewers rotation could be pretty good. Now, I, I want you to understand what I just said. That's not exactly a ringing endorsement. A couple of big words there. I actually think the Brewers rotation could be pretty good. 
I'm not saying they're going to be great or they're for sure going to be really good. I'm saying they could be they could be pretty good. They could be decent, which isn't a ringing endorsement, but it's not a death sentence. It's not they suck, they're terrible, they blow, they're an embarrassment. They 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 have potential, which is where you need to start, right? I, I think we all want to expect the Brewers to just be in Game 7 of the NLCS like two years ago. That's not the reality. Baseball season is a marathon, and this is going to take some work. It's going to take time. So you got to start somewhere. Let's start with potential. I think the Brewers starting rotation could be pretty good. I want to start every season with legit hopes of making the World Series. And I say making the World Series, not winning, because if you're good enough to make it, you're good enough to win. That's why I'm emphasizing with the Bucks: Make the NBA Finals, what happens, happens. If you make it, you're good enough to win. Even if you don't win this year, it's not necessarily because you weren't good enough. If you make a World Series, you're good enough to win. I want to start every season, every Brewers season, with legit hopes that my team can make the World Series. Now, that's not realistic every year, but given the fact the Brewers made the playoffs two straight years and came within one game of the World Series, I'd like to think that if there was a time to hope that the Brewers could make a World Series, this is the time, especially with Christian Yelich in his prime on a relatively team-friendly deal. You want to be able to start opening day and, and say, you know, if everything goes our way this year, we, we got a chance. We have a chance. That's what you strive for is legit hope, legit belief that your team could do it. If everything goes right, you could have a magical season and do it. That's what you strive for on opening day. And I don't think I'm there with the Brewers because I think if everything goes perfectly, they're still only a borderline playoff team. But I do think this rotation could be pretty good. Let's start there. Let's start with potential. I I, I went and I looked at the Nationals roster from last year for reference. That's what I like to do. I, I like to look at the team who just won the title. Raptors in the, uh, in the NBA. The, the Chiefs in the NFL, and of course the Nationals in Major League Baseball. And I like to look at those teams and think, okay, what made that team tick? What can the Brewers glean from that team? What did we learn? Because the Brewers were beaten by the Nationals. So were the Dodgers. So were the, not the Cardinals. Were the Cardinals? Yeah, the Cardinals. And then so were the, who eventually won in the in the World Series. They beat the, they beat the Astros? Who the hell did they beat? God, I can't even remember. It's baseball. Not important. The, the Nationals were the best team last year. The best team, what can we learn from them? What can I take away? Well, in the pitching department, they had three elite arms. Max Scherzer, Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin. And in the bullpen, they had one elite arm, Sean Doolittle. Let's start there. Three and one. Three pitchers you trust and one pitcher you trust in the bullpen. Three starters, one reliever. Now, I think it's unrealistic for the Brewers to strive for Scherzer, Strasburg, Corbin. But let's start with the goal of finding three starting pitchers you can trust every time they go out on the mound and one reliever you can trust every time he goes out on the mound. Once you get those three starters and that one great reliever, then it becomes a game of filling in the cracks. And if you're lucky enough to have four starters you trust or three relievers you trust, great. But let's follow the Nationals model of three elite starters, one elite reliever. Then you can fill in the cracks. Okay, well, we got to start, we got to start, you know, uh, our fourth or fifth starter today, okay, we'll figure it out. We'll make it work because we know that we have Scherzer coming up, Strasburg coming up, Corbin coming up. And in the bullpen, well, we just got to get to our closer, right? We just got to get to our one arm that we trust. Everything else becomes about filling in the cracks. That's what I think the Brewers need to strive for. Three starters they trust, whether that's Lindblom, Woodruff, Suter, 
or not Suter, but uh, um, but Hauser. I think that's probably their their best three starters: Woodruff, Hauser, and Lindblom. Okay, well, you can fill in the cracks. You can figure out the other two. If you got three guys you trust, you can make the other few work. And if you have one reliever you like, and they should have two in Knable and Hader, so they're already ahead of the curve there, you can fill in the cracks. The reason why I'm trying to emphasize some optimism about the Brewers is because I think the Brewers could have three starters they trust, and I think they have two relievers they trust, so it becomes a game of filling in the cracks, and there is no better manager, there's no better crack filler in Major League Baseball than Craig Council. Craig Council's shown time and time again that he can maximize the talent you give him, and I think if you can find three good starters... Woodruff, Hauser, Lindblom, those are my early favorites. And you you have more than one great reliever. I think you have two. It's just about filling in the cracks. And I have no doubt Craig Council can do that. We'll be back tomorrow to talk about the Brewers, talk about the Bucks, talk about the Packers. The Wisco Sports Show back tomorrow. Same time, same place. Talk to you then.